Hey Kyle here. I am excited to look at God's Word today with you. Growing up playing sports, there was this common maxim, play for the name on the front of the jersey rather than the name on the back. Now there are some variations of that same saying when you look at the the name on the front being like your school or your sports team and the name on the back being your personal team, such as play for the name on the front so that they remember the name on the back. Credit Paul Pierce on that one. Or look at the name on the front and play for that first. Look at the name on the back and play for that also. Do them both justice. And the, the principle, the main idea was so simple. The way in which you played the game was just as important as the outcome of the game. Because the way in which you played on the field, on the court, on the mat, would follow you off beyond the bounds of the field, beyond the scope of the competition. Paul is reminding the Colossian believers that they are playing the infinite game, one that goes beyond the metaphorical final buzzers in our lives. Winning arguments, jockeying for power, getting people to play by temporary rules, such as the false teachers were trying to get them to do, were attempts to create a finite game when we were meant for an eternal one. Live in the present as the kind of human you will become. That's Paul's thesis in this section of Colossians chapter 3. Two weeks ago, we looked at the difference between the Christian community and other types of community. Last week, we looked at how the new humanity is characterized. In today's teaching passage, the Apostle Paul continues to describe the character of the church that is committed to the goal of the church, which is a goal with eternity in mind. How will the church play the game of life? One of the ways that we could frame this up is to ask a simple question. How does the church know if it's committed to the goal? The goal of living in light of eternity. Here's the thing. If you're an unbeliever or disconnected from a church and you're tuning in today, you can use this question to look at Generations Church or other churches to understand the difference between playing by a finite game and the infinite game. How does a church know if it's committed to the goal? There are four ways a church knows if it's committed to the goal of being the embodied Jesus in the world. The first, the peace of God rules. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. He says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called one body. So you see the church is described as a singular body. But to help that body be unified and function well, The rule should be the peace of God, meaning that peace should characterize the community of God's people and that peace is the standard for discerning God's will. The rule here is translated as a Greek verb that refers to the activity of an umpire who renders verdicts in contested situations. In general, Paul wants the Colossians to make peace the arbiter, the factor that should be given preference over competing concerns and interests. As the church makes decisions in choosing between alternatives and settling conflicts of the will, a concern to preserve the inward and communal peace should be our controlling principle. To do this well, we have to exert prayer over preferences. To bring peace relationally to the forefront, to to allow it to govern, we have to go to God in prayer over exerting our own preferences as we attempt to do ministry. 
And the peace with God through prayer will lead to peace with others. The second way in which a church knows if it's committed to the goal of being the embodied Jesus in the world is that the word of God dwells. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The new human walks in the word of God and in worship with other believers. Paul says that the word of Christ will dwell within you as an individual, but Paul's also describing that it will dwell collectively with the people. This is a picture of permanence. It's the difference between a tent and a house. A tent you can pack up, take down, and move, and it's temporary. A house is something sturdy and stable. So as we think about the Christian community, as we think about the church, what we want is the word of God to have a level of permanence within our gatherings and within our conversations. And this shows up in a couple different ways. The first is in teaching, that there is a level of theological and moral instruction, that the way in which we talk with one another has a level of rootedness in who Jesus is and what he has done that lends itself to practical application in making decisions. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? And this shows up in that positive way of teaching positive instruction, but it also shows up in admonishing. And as we think about admonishing, it's the kind of instruction that reminds, reveals, and rebukes in order to get someone into proper shape. Think of a coach or a music instructor that's concentrating on form. There's a level of critique because they want you to get it right. And they also want to see you improve. This teaching and admonishing together presents a value that we at Generations Church have called progress over perfection. We want to continue to become more and more like Christ. We know that we aren't going to be perfect, but Christ's perfection can live in and through us. And so we will see his character and priorities come to fruition in our everyday lives. Paul also says that it shows up in our music. The songs we hear play are an important role in the formation of Christ's likeness. Charles's role in our worship team role is so important because nothing is worse than a catchy song that doesn't teach the truth about God's word, where it leads us in a direction that doesn't allow us to accomplish our collective goal, to be the presence of Jesus in our world. And that's what embodied means, that when we show up, it's as if Jesus were there living in us and through us, as if Jesus were in our shoes. And so the word of God must be present in how we talk to one another and instruct one another, how we we get each other into shape, and in the music that we sing. Now, what Paul is describing in all of these three areas, Paul is saying that it's the community as a whole that puts the message about Christ at the center of its corporate experience. It's keeping Jesus in mind versus competing thoughts and priorities. And as Paul lays this out to the church community, Paul is saying that this isn't for just the pastors to make sure that they're teaching, admonishing, and having right music. Paul is saying it's the responsibility of the whole community to live this out. 
This is why at Generation Church, again, we say that we are everyday people. Together, we help each other become more and more like Christ. And we do that when we as individuals keep the Word of God central, and then when we gather, the Word of God is kept central in our lives. And it's not set aside. Because we can't admonish or just teach or just do music together on Sunday morning. We must connect with people Monday through Saturday, which means we're going to have to fight for relationships with others throughout the week. You can't do the totality of this just for one hour, one day a week. There are moments when you watch a good show or have read a good book or your kid does something funny. And with that same ease that you share that with others, we should be able to share what God is teaching us. You should be able to share what God is teaching you, how you have received a blessing from someone else, maybe. That is the ease by which we should be able to talk about what God is teaching us. And we got to help each other do that collectively which is why community groups is so important. We have groups that meet over Zoom throughout the week. It's why we do Connect and Communion after our Sunday gathering. It's because we are developing good rhythms and practice that that discusses what God is teaching us. And you don't have to have all the answers or think that you ha- what you have to say during that time has to be super spiritual. That's why we say we're, we're everyday people. We know that there's going to be competing priorities, that there's going to be competing issues, but together we can learn to put God's word at the center of our lives, that we can admonish, that we can teach, and that we can encourage each other through music to live a life with eternity in mind. The third way in which a church knows if it's committed to the goal of being the embodied Jesus in the world, the reasoning is because of Jesus. Paul says that we will do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying that that these believers in Colossae will live their lives, all of their life, for Jesus. And that the way in which they will live will seek to do the things that only he may do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this new human will persevere in the difficulty of doing such things, knowing that he is doing them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. So for us to do all the things in the name of Jesus does not simply mean to utter Jesus's name, but to act always in concert with his nature and character, with the nature and character of Jesus. So the Christian, whether in the apostolic age or in any generation, when confronted by a moral issue, may not find any explicit word of Christ relating to its particular details. We will face different circumstances and different situations where we will have to act and and reflect. If Jesus were in my shoes, what would he do? So the questions we might ask are, what is the Christian thing to do here? Which means, what would Jesus do? Can I do this without compromising my Christian confession? In areas such as as, as politics and in consuming different substances. Can I do this without compromising my Christian confession? Can I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose reputation is at stake in the conduct of his known followers? And can I thank God the Father through him for the opportunity of doing this 
thing. Paul is describing being on Team Jesus. When you go out to where you live, work, and play, as you face circumstances and situations, are you playing for the name on the back of the jersey? Or are you playing for the name on the front of the jersey? Are you playing for Team Jesus? And if you are someone who has yet to say yes to being on Team Jesus, we want you to do that today. Team Jesus is the best team to be a part of. Because you are invited into a community that is going to help you play the eternal game and not get caught up in the little finite petty games that we can play in our everyday life. And so as we seek to be on Team Jesus, the the right course of action may not always be clear, but such questions honestly face will commonly provide sure ethical guidance rather than special regulations may do. The hard and fast rule of do this in every situation may not always be the best solution. Because it's often easy to get around special re- regulations or or default to those special rules rather than allow Jesus to walk in your shoes. It's less easy to get around so comprehensive a statement as Christian duty as this verse applies. Can you do it in the name of Jesus? To be on team Jesus and as we ask these questions may seem sort of nebulous which go back to the previous point of application, we need each other. We need to be in conversation with one another. This is not an isolated decision. This is why we need to communicate with each other as we process different things. We need people to teach and admonish and encourage and to help us determine what is the the team action here. What, what What is the way that furthers the team goal in this situation? And you see this front and center for us at Generation Church as part of our vision is because of Jesus. We want to do everything that we do because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. That he has not left us alone, that he displays a selfless love and give us the pattern of what it means to be truly human. That he, he allows us to have peace with God so that we can have peace with others. That he gives us words of care and encouragement so that we can be the representative of God within the world. Paul is going to take some of these principles and apply them to the first century family. And we're going to look at that in the coming weeks. The fourth way in which a church knows if it is committed to accomplishing the goal of being the embodiment of Jesus. The church is thankful. The believers who are part of the church are thankful. Generations Church, we know that we are committed to being the embodiment of Jesus when you are thankful. So here's what we want to do. Right now in the comments below, share what you're thankful for. Let others know who are watching this or whenever they watch this, what you are thankful for. Go beyond just maybe I'm thankful for my health or I'm thankful for my family, but share something very specific that you are thankful for in the midst of this season, say for the last two months. What is something that you are thankful for? How has God shown up through another, whether it's an encouraging text or a note, or provided for you in some way? 
What was an unexpected blessing that you can point back and say, I am thankful because God did this? Or maybe it's a specific person that you are thankful for. Tag them and say, I am thankful for this person because of what they did. Seriously, do that right now. We want to see what you are thankful for. A church that is thankful, believers that are thankful, are committed to the eternal goal of being the embodiment of Jesus in a church that is thankful is committed to the um, being the embodiment of Jesus in our world presently. Imagine what this looks like in our culture right now. A church, a group of people that are at peace with one another, that aren't that aren't divisive and dividing. Why while we have different opinions, while we have different backgrounds, we have different stories, we we are characterized by peace because we pray for and with one another. A church where the the word of God is central to our gathering and to our conversation with one another as we encourage and we point each other and we help each other become more Christ-like. A church that is doing everything that we do because of Jesus. Not just being culturally nice or doing what the social norms are expected to do, but you make decisions about what you do, how you spend your time, about what we do as a church because of Jesus. And lastly, a church that is thankful. Church, I am thankful for you. You are expressing these characteristics in ways that I hope those who are who are watching this right now can say, yes, that is Generations Church. And we know as a church that we are not perfect. We know that we don't have it all together, but we are passionately pursuing Jesus as everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And if you are watching this right now and you haven't said yes to Team Jesus, we want you to say yes to Team Jesus today. And if you're someone who's watching this and you've never said yes to joining a local church, we want you to say yes to Team Generations. We want you to be a part of the family and be a part of the team because we love what God is doing in and through our church. And so join the team today. Use the hashtag Team Jesus or use the hashtag I'm in. Hashtag Team Generations. Let's go. Let's get this. And let's be a community of people that when they, when others encounter Generation Church, the people of Generations Church, not, not the organization, not just the pastors, but the everyday people of Generations Church, they go, that's a church, that's a people, that's a group of people that I want to be a part of. How does a church know it's committed to the goal of being the embodiment of Jesus? People of peace, the word of God dwells. The reasoning is because of Jesus and the people are thankful.